Tonight we're going to be looking at what possibly is the most controversial of the Ten Commandments. Um, we're going to maybe have to spend a little extra time tonight than normal uh, talking about this because there's a lot of confusion, um, misinterpretation, misapplication when it comes to uh, how we are to understand and apply uh, the, the fourth commandment today. And so let's read it together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sounds simple enough, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's a catchy little expression that we have been using in our culture in recent years to describe the frenetic pace of life that has become the norm for most of us. It's that simple little phrase, 24-7. 24-7. We're constantly on the go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are products of the Walmart generation, always open, 24 hours a day. Our schedules are jam-packed with around-the-clock activities, including jobs and phone calls and texts and emails and voice messages and projects and deadlines and board meetings and errands and doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and, and hair appointments and counseling appointments and baseball practice and soccer games and Boy Scouts and workouts and tryouts and music lessons and karate lessons, gymnastic classes, dances, dance classes, laundry, cooking, cleaning, balancing the checkbook, paying the bills, homework, yard work, and that's just warming up for the weekend. On Saturday and Sunday, our lives seem to get even busier, and it shouldn't surprise us that the fast food restaurant is truly an American phenomenon. Why is that? Well, it literally feeds our fast-paced lifestyles as we rush from, from here to there, always feeling like we're running late with never enough time to get everything done. We've all heard it said, we may have even said it ourselves, somebody says, how's it going? And, and you hear or you say, I'm crazy, what? Busy. Crazy busy. That's just the generation that we live. We're the crazy busy generation. And so for us as Christians, there, there never seems to be enough time for studying God's word or praying or reading one of the books in that growing stack of books on your nightstand, um, fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, serving in a particular ministry, in the church, ministering to that hurting friend, visiting that elderly couple, building a relationship with your neighbor for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them, spending quality time with your family, or just relaxing or taking a nap, as if that might not be a spiritual thing. Uh, what's ironic to me about all this is that we live in the generation that enjoys the most modern conveniences and time-saving devices provided by unparalleled prosperity and unprecedented technology. I mean, we've got everything at our fingertips, cell phones and computers and the internet, and yet it seems like we enjoy life the least. 
seems like our lives are more complicated, more rushed, more stressed, more frustrated, more unsatisfied. We're overbooked, overworked, overwhelmed, overtired. It's no wonder that we're a nation in therapy. More and more lives and more and more marriages, more and more families are just breaking down and and no one seems to know why. And I would suggest to you it's because we've forgotten something that's vitally important to our existence, something that, that none of us can live without, something that God built into the very rhythm of the universe. It's called a day of rest. I heard a story about a young girl whose car broke down simply because she didn't know that she was supposed to put oil in the engine. Hopefully, guys, you're teaching your daughters that very important little principle, right? Every 3,000 miles or whatever, 5,000 miles, you've got to put some oil in that thing. And you think, how basic is that? I mean, if you, just, if you just follow the maintenance schedule uh, in the owner's manual of your car, it'll run better and longer and less likely to break down. And the reason why there are so many broken down lives today is because we haven't followed the maintenance schedule in our owner's manual. What is our owner's manual? This thing right here, right? The Bible is our owner's manual, and it tells us what we need to do to keep our lives running smoothly. And so to avoid breaking down, it says we need to make sure that we devote one day out of every seven to rest and to worship. And so the fourth commandment uh, essentially serves as our maintenance schedule. Um, Again, let me remind you here as we're talking about the Ten Commandments that that God loves us and he gave us the Ten Commandments because he loves us. They're for our own good. They're, they're what did we say? They're, they're ten timeless truths to guide and guard us on our journey through life. And, and so our, really our survival depends on us keeping the Ten Commandments. Uh, we will be protected. We will prosper. It will go well with us. We'll live long uh, if we keep these. And that's why he gave them to us. And each one of the Ten Commandments plays a unique role in guarding us from from some sin that will enslave us or destroy us. And the fourth commandment is God's way of guarding us from being destroyed, from being overworked, overbooked, overwhelmed, overtired. God knew our sinful tendency to become consumed with the things of this world, to get so busy that we forget about Him. And so he commanded us to take one day of the week to stop and rest and refocus on him. And in doing so, he's graciously provided us with an opportunity to get off the merry-go-round and the hamster wheel, if you will, of life and catch our breath for a second. And at the same time, he's provided us with the necessary time to do all the things that we never seem to, to have the time to do. And so the fourth commandment is is a precious, priceless gift from God, but the problem is that most of us never even open it, let alone use it. How many times have you said to yourself, or you've heard someone say, if I could just have one more day in my week, then I would get everything done? What if I told you I found that extra day? How much do you think people would pay for that? Hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars for that extra day? Well, the reality of it is that we've always had that extra day that we often wish for. We just haven't been using it 
the way God intended. We, we've allowed ourselves to get, to get uh, so busy that that day gets lost in the busy blur of the other days of the week. It's called Sunday. And guess what? It's free. Doesn't cost you anything. And I would submit to you that, that it's not just another day that we need to get everything done in our lives. God has providentially provided us all the time we need to do all that he's ordained us to do. The solution to our frazzled, frazzled freaked out lives is, is to learn to make the most of the one day in seven that God designed for us to be physically and spiritually refreshed and re, reinvigorated for the rest of the week. And so in order to learn how to do this, we're going to take a look tonight at this fourth commandment. And, and for the sake of, of our study, I've broken it up into, into three sections here, uh, verses 8 through 11. Uh, the what, the how, and the why of keeping the Lord's Day special. This is all about keeping the Lord's Day special. So we're going to look at the what, what does that mean, how do we do that, and why do we need to keep the Lord's Day special. So let's look first of all at the what. What is the Lord's Day? Let's look at the command itself. In verse 8, he says, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That word remember uh, really means more than merely just recalling something to mind. Oh yeah, I remember, it's Sunday. Uh, It's more than just a mental act that implies doing something to commemorate or to celebrate an occasion in a special way. Uh, it's like your wedding anniversary. I mentioned earlier that Kel and I are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in May. And, and, and some of you wives would just be happy if, you're, if your husband simply remember the date of your anniversary. But what you really desire is for them to commemorate it in a special way. To do more than just remember the day, but do something special and to do something to provide a concrete demonstration of their love for you. A card, flowers, dinner, a night away. Um, And in a similar way, I think God desires that we use one day a week to demonstrate our love for him in a special way. We tend to forget God's great work of creation, his work of redemption. He, He wants us to praise him and to thank him for making us and saving us. And he wants us to do that at least just at least once a week. At least once a week, I want you to stop And I want you to thank me and praise me for making you and for saving you. I think you're aware that in the the last half of the 20th century, this is, we're talking um, decades ago, uh, we saw, at least in our country, the slow and subtle demise of the Lord's day to the point that, that it's now virtually forgotten. I remember growing up hearing about these things called blue laws. You guys heard of blue laws, right? They were a thing that used to um, keep stores closed and, and people from working on, on, on Sundays. But those laws, for the most part, have been abolished, allowing businesses to be open on Sunday. This was an interesting fact I came across. Before 1949, no football games were ever played on Sunday. Hard to believe. I think when the NFL officially sanctioned Sunday games, no one would have ever imagined that it would eventually result in the pinnacle of the sporting world, Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. And so the distinction 
is talking about how we've lost this distinction of Sunday. It really, this, the distinction between Saturday and Sunday has, has just kind of blurred together, and it's now just called the weekend. Um, churches, uh, maybe in a well-meaning attempt to get more people to come to their church, have adapted to this change by offering weekend services. And, and it's popular now no longer to call it Sunday services, but it's weekend services. And Saturday night services have been added to, to, I think, for the sake of convenience many times to accommodate people's busy schedules so that they'll have all of Sunday to do whatever they want. So it's a lot easier to tack something on at the end of the day on Saturday night. You've already got a full day in doing what you want. You can just go to church for a couple hours. Then you've got all day on Sunday. You don't have to worry about you know, cutting your day in half because you've got to be in church on Sunday morning. And I think that's why golf courses are, are, are packed out on Sundays. Malls are hopping. Movie theaters are, are filled. Soccer fields, baseball diamonds are teeming with kids and families. And roads are clogged with cars on Sunday. Uh, this is a relatively new phenomenon. And I think the prevailing mindset of people today is, I work all week. The weekend is mine. I love my weekends. I love my weekends. And what they fail to realize is that one of those days doesn't belong to them. Who does it belong to? The Lord. It's not Ken's day. It's not Vi's day, right? It's, it's, it's God's day. It's the Lord's day. And so sadly, not only has the world forgotten that Sunday is the Lord's day, but so is the church. Ken Hughes has written a great book on the Ten Commandments. He's, he calls it the Ten Words. We mentioned that, that originally that was what the commandments were called, just simply the ten words. And this is what he said in his book. He said, the Lord's Day has been lost to millions of professing Christians to the impoverishment of their own souls, for they have abandoned a major path to loving God. In other words, one of the greatest resources that God has provided us to grow in our relationship with him and express our love to him is Sundays. So it says here, remember the Sabbath day. It doesn't say Sunday necessarily, but it says remember the Sabbath day. That, that word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word meaning to rest or to cease from work. That's what Sabbath means. Uh, you've heard of the Sabbath rest uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but the Jewish nation had always observed this day of rest on, on Saturday and, 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 and continues to to this day. The Sabbath is from sundown on Friday uh, to, to sundown on Saturday. In fact, some religions, some uh, denominations even, who would claim to be Christian, still observe the Jewish Sabbath. Seventh-day Adventists would be uh, probably the best example. And I think those denominations uh, or, or religions, they confuse the meaning of this word. This word Sabbath is not seventh. It means rest. It's a rest day, not a seventh day. And we're going to see in just a moment that, that the issue is not the day, per se, but the pattern that God established that after six days of work, that you need to have a day of rest and worship. And so he says here, remember the Sabbath day, what does he say at the end of verse 8? To keep it holy. We know the word holy means to be what? Set apart. Uh, to, to keep it separate from the other six days, in other words, make it different from, from every other day of the week, make it unique, keep it special. That's what we're talking about tonight, is keeping the Lord's Day special. 
This, this wasn't a new concept, by the way. This wasn't the first time the Israel's, Israelites were introduced to this idea of, of taking a rest day. Uh, it was already part of their religious life, even before, even before the law was given at Mount Sinai. If you remember when he gave them instructions, God gave them instructions about collecting manna. It says that on the, on the day before Sabbath, they were to collect enough for the following day. Remember that? And they weren't to go out there and try to collect on the Sabbath. So they were already in the habit of doing this. It was at Mount Sinai here that God formally established the Sabbath as part of the covenant relationship between Israel and and him as as just one more way to set Israel apart from all the other nations. No other nation observed a special day for rest and, and worship. And it really was to serve as a special sign to to mark them out among the nations. In the same way that they would circumcise their their boys, uh, they would would recognize a special day, uh, a day of Sabbath. It's sad to me that that, uh, in the same way that, that Christians could be set apart very simply by honoring the Lord's Day more, uh, we've just kind of blurred in with the world, just like Israel just blurred in with the world. Uh, we, we're tending to do the same thing. The church is just kind of blurring into the world. Christians are blurring into the world uh, by Sunday not being as special of a day as I think God intended it to be. So that's what. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it separate, to keep it special, I think is the idea here. The, the next question is how? how? How do we do that? How, what is the way to keep this command? And the answer to that is in verses 9 and 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. And so basically he says, hey, six days you shall labor and do all your work. I think this is part of the, 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 the fourth commandment that's often overlooked. Uh, that, that we miss this. We, 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 we realize here that the, the emphasis is, 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 is placed so heavily on resting that we miss the fact that it's our divine duty to work. And I think many people, including Christians, have, this, have a wrong attitude towards work, that they treat it as a necessary evil and they try to do it as little of it as possible. And they consider it to be the result of, of sin. It's a, a result of the fall. It's, a, it's punishment on mankind. I remember when I thought, I thought that when I was out in the garden on Saturdays wishing I was doing something else and I was having to pull weeds. And I was like, sick of freaking Adam and Eve. Thinking this was all because of the fall, right? But listen, God ordained work before the fall. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So work was a good thing. Um, In other words, we were created by God to work, but because of Adam's sin, our work has just gotten harder and more burdensome. Instead of just planting your stuff, uh, working out in the garden, planting your stuff, now you got to deal with weeds, right? Rocks and all the headaches and things that come along with, with that. But even so, God wants us to have a good work ethic. And he's basically saying, hey, you need to work hard six days of the week. Um, and and we, can, we can honor God by doing an honest week's worth of work. We should never be accused of, of being a lazy loafer. Um, if, if you want a good example of a hardworking Christian, 
All you need to do is look at the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so you would follow our example. He goes on to say, if for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not, what? Supposed to eat. Jacob sometimes will be like, hey, so when are you guys going to start giving me an allowance? I'm like, we give you an allowance three times a day. It's called breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You should be thankful that we're, <laughs> we're giving you food, right? And uh, you know, he, he assumes that, that, you know, in this day and age, that's what, that's what happens. You know, you, you just, uh, you, there's this expectation, there's this um, sense of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Entitlement, thank you, yeah. And I'm like, bro, you should just think you got something to eat, okay? Um, and oh, by the way, empty the dishwasher too, okay? Because, uh, you know, and you're not getting paid for that, all right? You just got paid because you just ate, okay? Um, so, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. But for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion, eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. So a great example there of, of, of hard worker. So he says here, six days you shall labor and do all your work, which is a good thing. Praise God for... Uh, healthy bodies, healthy minds, uh, careers, jobs, uh, employment. Uh, But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. Now, if, if you were an Israelite standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, that would have been cause to throw a party. To hear that, that you shall work seven or, or six days and then uh, have a Sabbath in that you will do no work. I mean, this must have been music to their ears because they had just been delivered from 400 years in slavery where, where the Egyptians forced them to work, what? Nonstop, seven days a week. And so God was mercifully liberating them from this oppressive work schedule, and he said, notice, I don't want you or anyone else. God expected them to extend this merciful provision of rest to their children, their servants, even their animals. I think it's important for us as parents that we train our kids about the importance of rest. I mean, you know, if you left your kid to himself, I mean, he would never go to bed. Right, he'd be up all hours of the night doing whatever. So that's why you got to go to bed. So I'm not tired. It's early. They make all these excuses. No, no you listen, you need your rest or you're going to get sick, right? And, and, and so they would foolishly run themselves ragged. And the question is, what are we teaching our kids when we run around all these things throughout the week and, and, and throw in Sunday's mix of sports and parties and activities and all this stuff that happens, it seems, on Sundays? I think employers uh, have a responsibility to provide employees the opportunity to rest and worship. And, and even though there's been 
many a Sunday when I've driven by Chick-fil-A and grieved that I couldn't go in there and buy something because I was really hungry and I wanted to go to Chick-fil-A and I forgot, oh, it's closed on Sunday. But praise God, what a great example and how the Lord has honored uh, Truett Caffey's commitment to that, right, of, of the, 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 the restaurant with the most revenues uh, in, in the country and, and working with one less day to make that money. That's just the Lord, right, blessing his commitment to, to honor the Lord's day and to be closed on Sunday. Uh, interesting, back in, back in uh, you know, the 16, 1700s, I believe, uh, they used donkeys in England, in the coal mines, and uh, what they found out was that the donkeys that rested one day in seven, in other words, they gave the donkeys a day off, they could carry a load 30 miles a day, while the donkeys that worked seven days a week could only travel 15 miles a day. In other words, they just got worn out quicker. They, they found out that it was better to run the donkeys according to the Ten Commandments, because you had more productive donkeys. The point is that God sovereignly designed the world in such a way that everyone and everything needs a break from time to time from their work to allow their mental and physical energies to be replenished. I mean, just the fact that we have to sleep every 16 to 18 hours, I mean, that's just the most humbling thing. You think about that. It's like there is so much more I would love to be able to accomplish in a day, and I'm just like, I get tired, and I'm like, I, I just, I, I can't keep my eyes open anymore. I got to go to sleep. It's like God just puts us to bed every night and says, just to remind us, listen, I don't need you, okay? You go to sleep. I got this. And we know he never sleeps. He never slumbers, right? Uh, talks about that in, 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 in Psalm 121. Um, God doesn't need us. He, he's able to keep the universe running without our help, and, and ultimately, he's the one who created all things and controls all things and sustains all things, not us. Uh, he can do without us, and that's why he puts us to bed. <laughs> uh, and, and we need, we're completely uh, dependent on God, um, and, and we're so weak and helpless. And I think that, that every night, that should be our thought. Is, is, this is just another reminder of how weak and helpless I am and how dependent I am on the Lord because I can't even keep my eyes open. I mean, just think about living life without ever sleeping. It's impossible. But that's God's existence, right? He never sleeps, he never slumbers. And so that's what he tells us to do there. Uh, or, or excuse me, how. So we're supposed to uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. How are we to do that? We're supposed to work six days, do all, get all our work done in six days, and then take a rest on the Sabbath and, and pass that blessing on to everyone in our lives, our kids, our servants, our employees, uh, even our animals, uh, or even a guest, uh, a sojourner who stays with us. Now let's look at the last question, why? Why are we to keep the Ten Commandments? Or why, are we, why are we to keep this, this command? What is the reason for this command? Verse 11. For, that's always tips you off when you see the word for. This is a reason. I'm giving you the reason why you're to keep this command. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what is the basis of the fourth commandment? It's the pattern that God established during the six days of creation. He set an example for us to follow, 
in our working, in our resting. He's commanded us to pattern our work week after his original work week. Um, the fact that God rested on the seventh day obviously doesn't mean he got tired. He needed a break going, whew, man, all this, all this creating is really wearing me out. That, that's not what was going on. God never grows weary. Again, he doesn't have to sleep. He never has to take a nap like we do. But what is the point here? This is one commentator's take on this. He said, just as God stopped creating, we lay aside our ordinary affairs, we lift up our eyes above the hustle and bustle of created things, and we focus upon the Creator. It is a time of reflection and worship and service when everything is for the Lord. I think it's interesting in in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, um, Moses, when he was reviewing the law with the new generation of Israelites who were about to go into the promised land, he added another reason why they should keep the Sabbath. The original reason was because of the order of creation, the, the original work week, um, the pattern that God laid out in creation. But listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So what Moses was indicating there, I believe, was the Sabbath was not only a time to, uh, to honor the pattern that, that, that God had established in creation, but also it was a day to reflect on their what? Their redemption. Their redemption, the fact that God had redeemed them, had, had saved them, had delivered them, had rescued them. And so the Sabbath was a, a special day for Israel to remember both God's work of creation and God's work of redemption and to express their love for him and their faith in their creator and redeemer. Hopefully you're already seeing the parallel to, to the Lord's Day, Sunday. What are we doing on Sunday? We're, 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 we're expressing our love and our faith in our creator and our redeemer. Notice the last phrase there. He says, um, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God made it holy. He tells, us to, he tells us at the beginning, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because God's already made it holy. We need to treat it in the same way as God treats it. God made it holy, and it's our job to keep it that way. He kept it special, or I should say he made it special, and we need to keep it special. How's that? He made it special. We need to keep it special. And tragically, over time, as you know, uh, with the nation of Israel, this particular command, the the fourth commandment, uh, which was meant to be a blessing to Israel, eventually became a burden to them. It it cramped their lifestyle. It hindered their their prophets. According to Amos chapter 8, if you remember when we went through the minor prophets, uh, this was one of the the major sins that that God confronted them through the prophets, that they, uh, on, they would restlessly pace back and forth from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, chomping at the bit to get back to business. Why? Because they wanted to make what? Money. Amos 8, 5 talks about that. So the Sabbath became an inconvenience, and, and it became inefficient. I came across this, this uh, really shocking quote by Bill Gates. Y'all know who Bill Gates is, right? 
richest man in the world, I guess, or maybe not, second now, but um, he's got a lot of money. He was asked why he didn't believe in God, and uh, this is what he said. You ready? This is why Bill Gates doesn't believe in God. Quote, just in terms of allocation of resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday morning. (laughs) Interesting statement. Apparently, the Israelites shared Gates' philosophy, and we know that God punished them for not keeping the Sabbath by sending them into captivity. And, And you can look at Nehemiah, chapter 13, Verse 15 and following, Jeremiah 17, verse, starting in verse 19, Ezekiel chapter 20, which all indicate that the main reason why God punished Israel and took them out of the land and put them into exile for 70 years was what? Because they didn't keep the Sabbath. That was the main reason. Survey says, what were all the reasons why God kicked the nation of Israel out of, their, out of the promised land, out of the land he promised to give them? Number one answer is they didn't keep the Sabbath. And so that's why it was 70 years, basically 10, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 years, right, for every Sabbath that they missed. They were supposed to even have a Sabbath year that they would work the ground for, se- for six years and they were let the ground rest for seven years. They were looking, and they were supposed to let off all debts every, every Sabbath, and, and, and they didn't do that. And so there was a reason why it was 70 years uh, that they were in, 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 in captivity, in exile. So, so Sabbath breaking was, was one of the perpetual sins that, that Israel committed. And yet by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, the pendulum had swung all the way back in the opposite direction. So if, it, if during the time of Israel, uh, the Israelites in the wilderness or in the promised land, man, they were way over here just like completely disregarding the, the Sabbath and just that's why God sent them out of the land. And then now they're back in the land and in the time of Jesus and it swung all the way over here to they, where they like were way overthinking the Sabbath. And, and the legalistic influence of the self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisees uh, who, who strictly uh, monitored and regulated uh, Sabbath-keeping, it was crazy. The Pharisees sought to interpret and define what, what God meant by work, making their own extensive additions to the fourth commandment. There was 39 laws that they added underneath uh, the fourth commandment, and they subdivided those into six categories, resulting in literally thousands of rules and regulations about what could and couldn't be done on the Sabbath. Like you could only travel 3,000 feet from your house. That was one of the rules. You couldn't carry a load heavier than a dried fig. That's how specific they got. Uh, you couldn't tie or untie a knot because that would be work. You couldn't look in a mirror because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out, and that would be work. Uh, You couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because you might scuff the spittle and thereby be guilty of plowing and cultivating the earth. I'm not making this stuff up. This was what they said. And so in in a legitimate effort, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, in a legitimate effort to guard the Sabbath 
day and, and to, to, to obey the, ten, the, the fourth commandment and keep it holy, keep it special, they, they'd completely destroyed it by turning it into an instrument of oppression. And instead of being a, a day uh, untangled from the things of the world and, and fully devoted to God as God originally intended, the Jews had become completely entangled by this legalistic list of, of do's and don'ts. And what was designed to be the most restful and relaxing day of the week had turned into the most tiring and frustrating day. Because they had to keep track of all this stuff. Oh, can I do that? I can't do that. And so no one looked forward to it. The Sabbath had become a burden rather than the blessing that God had originally intended it to be. And so naturally, when, when God came in the form of Jesus, he wanted to restore the original intent of the Sabbath so that his people would enjoy it instead of feeling enslaved by it. And as you read the Gospels, it's, it's clear that the chief conflict, the main conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees was what? The Sabbath observance. That, that was the main issue. They kept button heads over and over and over again in the course of Jesus' ministry. In fact, several times the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples for breaking the Sabbath because they picked grain and ate it while they were walking through a field, and that was harvesting. Um. You know, it was like you could just see the Pharisees. That's a violation of Code 146, Section 42, Paragraph 16, Line 14, Subclause D of the Sabbath Protection Act. I mean, it's like, guys, get, get a grip. And so every time Jesus would simply respond by telling them that, hey, guys, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who created it. It was my idea to begin with, and therefore I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. And, of course, that riled the Pharisees up. And especially when he would, what was the one thing he would do on the Sabbath that just hacked them off and made them want to kill him? When he would heal somebody. And it was his custom to go to the synagogue every Sabbath, like every devout Jew would for worship, and on a number of occasions, he healed someone, which made the Pharisees literally want to kill him. Uh, Luke 13 is a good example. Uh, Luke 13, let me just read this. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And you would think, hey, everybody would be so pumped and excited about that. But the synagogue official, indignant, i.e. hacked off, Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Hey, quit coming here on the Sabbath to get healed. (laughs) Come on the other six days. Uh, Are you kidding me? That's just, you know, talking about um, not being relevant at all. Uh, The Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites... Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan is bound for 18 long years, should not she have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Shouldn't you, shouldn't, shouldn't you untie her from her bondage? 
And then chapter 14, we're right there. Look at verses 1 through 5. It happened that when he went on, went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely, and there in front of them was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Just checking, because I know you guys kind of get upset when I do this. But what, what, is the, what does the law say? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could, not, and they could make no reply to this. He was just exposing their, their hypocrisy. But the point was, that not only were they hypocrites, they were merciless. I mean, they, they actually believe that if you, if you were crushed underneath a wall, if a wall fell on you on the Sabbath, all they could do was to remove enough rubble to find out how badly you were hurt, make sure you were still alive, you could breathe, and then they would leave you there until the Sabbath is over and come back and dig you out. It just shows how ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to live under this, this oppression of, of arrogant spiritual leaders like the Pharisees hopelessly trying to, to, to earn your salvation by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations about this one day of the week and in order to be right with God. I mean, talk about overworked, overburdened, overwhelmed, overtired. And I think that's, that gives us insight into why it was such a relief for these Jews in Jesus' day when they heard him say, come to me all who are, what? Weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. What I mean by that is that the Sabbath observance simply foreshadowed the coming of Christ and the spiritual rest that he would, he would bring to all those who would place their faith in him for, for, for their salvation. Uh, it was a Sabbath. The Sabbath was simply a sign pointing to the person and the work of Christ. That's what Colossians says, Colossians 2.16, therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so those who came to Christ in repentance and faith received salvation and found rest for their weary souls. And after Jesus ascended back to heaven, his followers began meeting together on what day? The the first day of the week. Why? To commemorate his resurrection and to anticipate his return. And all four gospels record that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. Uh, several times throughout the New Testament, it states that the early church met together for worship and fellowship on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. And so by the time John wrote the last book in the New Testament, the, the book of Revelation, uh, the first day of the week was referred to by, by Christians as what? Remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 10? The Lord's Day. He, he, he actually says, I was, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, on, on a Sunday. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet. He saw the vision. But that's where that expression, the Lord's day, comes from, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. B.B. Warfield, the great uh, Reformed theologian of Princeton, believe it or not, Princeton used to be a, a, a conservative uh, biblical uh, theological seminary um, before it was an Ivy League school, and B.B. Warfield was a president. Listen to what he said. Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morning. Kind of a cool analogy. He brought the Sabbath with him into the grave and he brought out the Lord's Day on resurrection morning. So the first Christians purposely chose to no longer meet for worship on Saturday. Why? To clearly distinguish themselves from the Jewish religious system out of which they had been delivered. But we don't have to... We don't have to observe the Sabbath anymore. That's why we meet on Sundays, because that's when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead and and, and returned to heaven. And so it was their way of celebrating that Christ had fulfilled the, the temporary ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath while at the same time maintaining this, this eternal moral principle of devoting one day in seven to worship and to rest. In other words, I think the Lord's Day, what we do as Christians today, honoring the Lord's Day, Sunday, is, 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 is really a New Testament expression of the fourth commandment. And the reason why I say that, a New Testament expression of the fourth commandment is because nowhere in the New Testament are Christians commanded to keep the Sabbath. You can't find it. It's not there. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not explicitly repeated in the New Testament. And that's why this commandment is probably the most controversial of the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of disagreement, more disagreement on how to interpret and apply this command than any other, uh, than any of the others. And there are some Christians who say that, 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 um, that, that we need to observe the Sabbath uh, on Sunday, in much the same way as Israel did on Saturday. Others say it was abolished by Christ and it no longer applies to us today. You say, well, what is it? Well, I think it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> that might sound like a cop-out, right, to sit on the fence, but I, I do think it, it's probably best to take some balanced view somewhere in the middle of these two extremes of we must celebrate it exactly like the Sabbath on Sunday uh, or uh, uh, on Saturday and then the other stream is, forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's irrelevant to us. And I think this is where we need to go back to something that we learned in the opening message of our series on the Ten Commandments. Remember, we talked about when you're interpreting and applying Old Testament law that you need to remember there's three forms of the law. Remember that? What are the three forms of Old Testament law? There's the ceremonial aspect of the law, there's the national or legal aspect of the law. And the, or the civil, and then there's the moral. So again, man-made distinction. You can't find that outlined in Scripture, but it, it, historically that's how the law has been divided uh, in, in historic evangelical biblical um, circles. And so if a law is either ceremonial or national, we said it no longer applies to us today, but the moral laws do. Those moral laws are timeless. And so what's challenging about the fourth commandment is it includes aspects of all three forms of the law. There's a ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath, there's a national aspect to the Sabbath, and there's a moral aspect of the Sabbath. 
And so the ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath has been, has been fulfilled in Christ. The national aspect really has been diminished over time. In other words, back in the Old Testament, if you broke the Sabbath, what would happen to you? You'd get stoned. <laughs> You'd die. Nobody's getting killed these days for working on Sundays. So that whole national element or civil aspect has diminished. But the moral aspect remains. In other words, there's a timeless principle that after working six days, we need to take a day to recuperate and to refocus on God. And if this weren't the case, then why would God include this commandment in a list of eternal moral principles that still apply to us except just this one? Like all the, you know, we need to keep all nine, but that one doesn't count. I think there's, there's some eternal moral principle here. Uh, also, God clearly established the principle of a day of rest for all mankind at creation. Long, long before he gave us the Ten Commandments. Furthermore, the writer of Hebrews links the creation rest with the eternal rest that God will provide his people in heaven. Hebrews 4.9, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In other words, there's something still going on with the Sabbath. You can't just punt it and say it doesn't apply anymore. No, no, there's a, there's a Sabbath rest that we're looking forward to. That, it's heaven. So, all that to say, Sundays, for us as Christians, should serve as a foretaste of what? Our Sabbath rest in heaven. Sundays is really a, a foretaste of heaven. What do we do on Sundays? We, we get together with God's people. We worship. We sing. We pray. We fellowship. We serve. It's a small slice of what we'll experience in heaven someday that, that should whet our appetites for eternity. That's what's going on on Sundays. We're, we're, we're practicing for heaven. The, the Puritans considered Sunday to be a, quote, day for entering the suburbs of heaven. That's cool, isn't it? You kind of drive into the suburbs. You don't make it into the city all the way, but you drive into the suburbs, and you kind of drive around and go, man, this is kind of cool. So God designed, I believe, the Sabbath, if we choose to call it Sunday, to be the greatest day of the week. Coming to church should be the highlight of our week. It should be the one day that we look forward to the most. It's the most special day. That's what God intended it for. The world's motto is TGIF. Thank God it's what? Friday. Our motto as a church should be TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. That should be our motto as Christians. The Lord's day should be a delight to us. Listen to Isaiah 58, verse 13. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. In other words, he's exhorting us. Listen, if, you, if, if the Lord's day is a duty, oh great, it's Sunday. This really stinks. I gotta dress up and go to church, right? Rather than a delight, and then it's likely that you're trying to please yourself rather than please God. You're, you you want to do your own thing. If, it, if it's a boring drudgery uh, because you're not getting to do what you want to do, 
on Sundays, right? Uh, it's because you were thinking about yourself. Instead of using Sundays for your own selfish purposes, God calls us to use those days, the Sunday, to learn to delight in his purposes. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, we make him our priority so much so that, that we organize and structure our lives around his day and seek to be pleasing to him above all else and pursue our joy and satisfaction in him alone, he promises to bless us. I don't know if you use this expression in your house, but we say Sunday morning starts Saturday night. Sunday morning starts Saturday night. In other words, if you're thinking ahead, you're not just going to go out and do something super late, super exhausting, super whatever, so you can have a, have a hard time waking up in the morning, and then you have a hard time staying awake in church. Sat, Sunday morning starts Saturday night. Talk about blessing a man who put God first and sought first his kingdom and his righteousness. How about the story of Eric Little? Remember that guy, the Scottish runner? Love that story. For months, this guy trained for the 100-meter race at the 1924 Olympic Games. He was favored to win. Nobody could beat him. And then he learned that the heat for, for the 100-meter was to be run on Sunday. And you know the story, right? He had a conviction that the Lord would not be honored if he ran on Sunday. And so he shocked the sports world by withdrawing from the race that everyone expected him to win. And some who had previously praised him said he's a fool. And yet he stood firm in his conviction. And then a couple days later, a runner dropped out of the 400-meter race, which, which was scheduled for a weekday. And so Eric asked if, if he would be allowed to run to fill that slot. Even though he never trained for that race, it was four times longer. Big difference between a sprint, right? 100-yard dash and a 400-meter and so he got out there and he ran the race. Not only did he win the race, he set a new world record. And I think this is just a good example of how God blessed his commitment to keep Sunday special. That's what we're talking about, keep Sunday special. So question, are you committed to keeping Sunday special? This is where it's going to get a little convicting, okay? As we start to apply this a little bit. I want to challenge all of us to rethink how we can make Sunday as restful and worshipful as possible. Isn't that the intent, what we've been learning tonight? How can you make the Lord's Day as restful and worshipful as possible? In other words, we need to try to make Sunday as different from every other day of the week as possible. Um, ladies, you're going to like this. I think you should try to avoid as many of your normal routines as possible, within reason. Obviously, there's certain things you can't not do, but is there a way that you can cut down on the amount of cooking or cleaning or doing laundry or, or studying or shopping or guys washing the car or mowing the lawn, getting in that last minute you know, uh, you know, uh, yard work, catching up on the emails, all the things that we kind of do on Sundays to kind of fill our time? Maybe we need to consider removing as many worldly distractions as possible. Like maybe, you know what, I'm not going to read the newspaper. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to go to the movies or to the mall on Sunday. Now, again, you're not hearing me say, if you read a newspaper on Sunday, you're in sin. If you go to a movie on Sunday, you're in sin. I'm not saying that. 
I'm just suggesting uh, ways that we could possibly consider um, removing the, just the worldly distractions that we all kind of just let, have really let ourselves be conformed, right, to the world. We need to make a commitment to not only do, to, to, to only do those things that will help us rest physically and grow spiritually. How's that? Make a commitment to only do those things on Sunday that will help you rest physically and grow spiritually. Now, again, I'm not the guy, because I know this guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the guy who says, you know what? I don't watch football on Sundays. I don't read the newspaper on Sunday. I read it on Monday. I watch TiVo on Monday. In other words, it's almost like a self-righteous pride that I don't do these things because because Sunday's a holy day and all I do is read my Bible and take a nap. As if that's, like, you're more spiritual than the guy who maybe is out raking his yard or, again, I don't want to come across as legalistic at all. Some of you are maybe waiting for me to tell you whether it's right or wrong to take a job that requires you to work on a Sunday. Some of you who are civil servants, firemen, policemen, right, you have no choice in that. Um, or how about is it wrong to go out to eat on Sunday? Because now we're making other people work. You know, we're, we're, we're just as big of hypocrites. You know, we're expecting somebody to be at the restaurant. Even though, you know, how about playing golf? Is it, around, is, it, is it a sin to play a round of golf or play some football on Sunday afternoon or to go to the ball game? You know, so a lot of games are on Sunday. Let's buzz out of church and go down and watch the ball game or let your kids play in a soccer tournament on Sunday. Listen, I'm purposely avoiding giving any legalistic list of this is what you can and cannot do because I believe that much of what we choose to do or not do on Sunday falls within the realm of Christian freedom. And we need to be careful not to impose our convictions on others or judge others in what we could call gray areas. But I do want to just close by giving you a list of, of just five basic questions that, that might help you as you develop your own personal convictions about what you're going to do and not do to keep Sunday special. That's what we're talking about. Keep Sunday special. And what, what we might do as a family that keeps Sunday special for us may not be, be what you do as a family to keep Sunday special for you. What you do, what you choose to do to keep Sunday special for you and your family may not be what we do, right? So we need to provide some liberty here. But here's some questions to determine whether or not an activity may or may not be appropriate for you to do on Sunday. Number one, here we go. Question number one, will it cause me and or others to miss church? That's a good question, right? Will it cause me or others to miss church? Now, please know if, if you know, we're not the church that if we don't see you here on Sunday morning, we're going to be at your door Monday morning. Hey, where were you Sunday? You're in sin because you didn't come to church. That's between you and the Lord, but I think it's a good question to ask, right? Will it cause you to miss church? Uh, or others to miss church. Number two, will it build me and others up spiritually? If this is a day of, of remembering our Creator and our Redeemer to grow spiritually, will whatever the activity is build me and others up spiritually? Again, it doesn't mean parents. I don't want you to go legalistic on this and say, okay, this is the new standard on Sundays. We're coming home from church, we're having lunch, and we're going to sit around you know, all afternoon and read our Bibles and sing hymns together. 
because that's what would be the most spiritual and godly thing to do. Not necessarily. Um, just ask that question. Is this going to build me up and others up spiritually? Uh, number three, will it make me delight in the Lord or will it distract me from him or deaden me to him? A lot of that, that's really geared towards more of the entertainment that we just are constantly bombarded with entertainment that, that just kind of distracts us from the Lord or deadens our hearts. I'm guilty of this. You know, after coming, after preaching on Sundays, you know, I come home pretty much brain dead. I'm just like, uh, I sit there on the couch and drool, you know. Um, I, I'm not, I don't have much energy or mental capacity for much. And so it's very easy for me just to click on the TV and veg. And, and I was convicted about that as I was studying, thinking, you know, is that really the best thing uh, for me to be doing there? I need to rest. That's good. But is TV the best place to rest your mind? Not always, Right. It could be a dangerous place to rest your mind, or it could deaden you to the Lord. Again, nobody's hearing me say, go home and, and throw your TVs in the trash because they're from Satan, okay? I'm not saying that. Um, just ask yourself the question, will it make me delight in the Lord or distract or deaden me to him? Number four, will it refresh me physically or wear me out? If this is your only day to rest because you've been working like a dog for six days, right? Or you work five days and you, you killed yourself in the yard on, on Saturday, and this is the only day you've got to really let your body rest. Okay, ask yourself, is this going to refresh me physically or is this going to wear me out so that I hit the, the alarm goes off on Monday morning and I am dead? I'm dead tired. Why? Because my body never got off the treadmill. And then maybe the last question, just very simply, generally, will it please me or will it please God? That's a great question to ask for anything, anytime, right? But particularly on Sundays, will it please me or will it please God? Bottom line is when we delight in the Lord, we will naturally delight in the Lord's day and want to do everything we can to keep it special to honor Him because He made it special and He wants us to keep it special. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity tonight to talk about a very um, important subject, Lord, that is really, really hard to get our minds and, and hearts around in this day and age. Lord, with so many different interpretations and applications of, of the Sabbath and the Lord's Day, and I pray that I've been faithful tonight to, to clearly teach your word and, and, and to do it in a balanced way. That's helpful, Father, and doesn't drive people to legalism because we see how Jesus came to confront that legalism where they had made the, the Lord's Day, or really the Sabbath day, a burden. And, and, and it wasn't a blessing. It wasn't a joy. And I pray we'd never heap uh, rules and regulations and, and self-righteous legalism on people that would make them think that they have to do certain things or not do certain things on Sundays to be more spiritual and more pleasing to you. Uh, may we never be judgmental and critical of others and what they choose to do on Sundays. But Lord, I pray that this message would just help us to, to really grapple with the fact that you made, you built this into the way you wanted uh, our weeks to work. It was this one day in seven to rest physically and also to grow spiritually. And so I pray you'd help us to learn how to really maximize that day of rest and uh, that day of worship. And uh, Lord, that ultimately uh, it, it, Sundays really would be the most special day of the week for us, that we would look forward to it the most. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.